Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to you. I am really happy that you're investing some time in yourself and that you've decided to spend some of that time here with me. This week, we are continuing our special collaboration series with the Southern Sea. If you've been listening along, you know that the Southern Sea is a network of creative businesswomen and entrepreneurs who gather together to share ideas and to help each other grow their businesses beyond their wildest imaginations. It's an amazing organization. Much like She Said, She Said podcast, the Southern Sea is focused on helping its members make smart investments in themselves to help them accomplish what's most important to them. The theme for this series, appropriately enough, is growing and evolving. And how perfect that I am welcoming the incredibly fabulous designer and founder, Mignon Gavigan, to share her journey with us today. If you don't know Mignon, who also goes by Maggie, be sure to follow us both on Instagram to see her incredible designs, including the gorgeous scarf necklace that I'm wearing in this episode. Today, we're digging into Maggie's story about the idea that really put her on the map and differentiated her designs, her aesthetic, and her approach from the competition. One of the things that I love most about Maggie's story is that the central piece in her design collection, the scarf necklace, which I mentioned, actually came about as a bit of a fluke. Had she not been working three other jobs and learning the different dimensions of the fashion industry at the same time, that lucky break might have been more difficult for her to realize. I'll be talking more about how we can create our own luck in next week's episode, but for now, here is my conversation with the ever-fabulous Mignon Gavigan. Mignon, or I'll call you Maggie. Welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. Maggie, you are the founder of your namesake company, Mignon Gavigan. Tell us the story of how you started MG. Sure. I'm originally from North Carolina, um, went to UNC, and then ended up doing my last semester at the Sorbonne in Paris. 
And um, I graduated from college and my mom said, you know, I was like, well, what do I do now? And mom said, well, what do you love? And I had gone to design schools periodically, like North Carolina School of the Arts. And um, my high school had bought um, some of my uh, senior year artwork. But as I was coming up through high school, I was always changing, you know, cutting my clothes open. I was you know, stealing my dad's old jeans cutting them up and you know resewing them so they fit me better but it had the great wash that he had you know from years of wear um and I just told my mom that I loved fashion and she was like okay well there's a Parsons right down the street why don't you go in and see if you could take some classes or start while I was uh, I was also an au pair while I was in Paris so I was going to be there for at least another semester so I started at Parsons in Paris um, and then came to uh, New York and finished Parsons there. And um, I just started working as a apparel designer. And I had ripped up a vintage gown to drape a runway dress. And there was a piece on the floor, a torn piece on the floor with raw edges. And I picked it up, tied it around my neck with a safety pin, and literally walked home from one side of Soho to the other. And three different people stopped me and were like, "How? where can I buy that necklace? And I was kind of like, why shoot I need help paying my rent you know um I can make a give me your phone number and let me take it you let me make you one give me four weeks so that was the beginning of Mignon Gavigan um that was back in like 2007 so I started making them for friends and then eventually I started having trunk shows while I was working as a designer for other people I was I was a apparel designer for a while and then a handbag designer and then actually a footwear designer for a long time and all those design posts helped me to understand. I worked at big companies, small companies. They also sent me on loads of, um, of inspiration trips. They also sent me to production factories in, um, you know, all over the world. So while I was working for all these other people, I was kind of gaining all this insight that was so helpful into for when I did eventually start MG, mm-hmm. um, because I knew that, you know, when it's, one particular piece of advice that I will always take with me as a president of Nine West, I was starting, I was designing shoes and, you know, I was designing these elaborate shoes, always things, funky things. And he was like, Mignon, we need a basic pump. He's like, when you're, when you're building your brand and your business, you know, it's built like a layer cake. So but what your foundation is built on and what pays all your bills are your core pieces. So we need, you know, we need to start there. And then, you know, at the very top of the cake are your editorial pieces that, you know, gain attention. Um, I'd love to go back and dig into that just a little bit and have you talk about at what point did you realize that the scarf necklace was going to become a company? Because you were at the time working at least one other job, if not maybe a couple of other jobs simultaneously. (laughs) The fashion business is a tough world to break into. Um, Talk about when you realized that this was the moment and talk about maybe a little bit of the preparation that went into it, funding a business, sort of how you thought about that. Maybe give us that piece of the story. So, um, well, thank you for asking. Thank you just for being interested in the first place. But um, well, I love I love the product, as I said before, and I, I don't I don't want to be too much of a fangirl here. But uh, but it really is it really is very unique and so wearable. It's easy to wear. You know, I have it on with a t shirt and a jean jacket. Jean so jacket I'm really dressed down. But you could dress it up, dress it down. <laughs> when I when I started making it back in two thousand seven, literally friends of friends would be like, 
somehow get my contact information. And it became so much so that uh, that happened, started happening so often that I started having trunk shows. And then eventually with the trunk shows, um, I saw real success with even this first necklace. It was not something that's um, a typical style in the jewelry world. Actually, when we first launched, it was just with about five different styles of the scarf necklace. And our PR firm didn't really know how to categorize us. When we first started meeting with stores and apartment stores, they didn't know if it was a scarf or a necklace. So eventually, you know, as we went into earrings and other different kinds of necklaces, we are definitely a jewelry brand. But how much does that matter? So just just to stop you for a second, but how much does it matter that you fit so neatly into a particular vertical? Well, so they have different buyers and then they have a different budget. I see. So the scarf budget is different than a than the jewelry budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we wanted to expand, we we are we do collaborations, small collaborations with artisans all over the world doing other product categories, but MG will remain in the jewelry space. We feel like that's really important to our growth and our in our future. But with the success of this scarf necklace, it was fantastic. And so eventually I was working as a, um, a footwear designer at that point, and I was a waitress, but we, you know, <laughs> got to do everything you can to survive. Um, but making things brings me so much joy. And actually, I've found that people bring me so much joy as well. And, and providing happiness to people brings me so much happiness. So our first year, I um, decided to leave the footwear industry. Let's go ahead and give this give this a ring. I felt like I had given it at least um, enough time and, and it had been, it had, it had been successful enough in its own small right where I hadn't been giving it my hundred percent to show me that there is interest for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was very, I'd say daunting and definitely freaked me out to be like, are people even going to like this? You know, will I be able to pay my rent? Will I, um, so what I did and I have, I've had a lot of supporters along the way that have said, as soon as you start your own fashion company, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be your biggest supporter. I'm going to be your biggest fan. I will shout it from the mountaintops. And that truly was the case. My first year, um, our, uh, salesperson at that time, um, Kenzie Vinebresk, she is one of my best friends, but she had worked in the fashion industry for a long time in sales. She had worked for Tori Birch in Tori Birch's kitchen when Chris Birch was like, nobody knows who you are. You have to get out there on the road, show people how to do this, do trunk shows all over the place. So Kinsey and I did 30 trunk shows in 52 weeks. So almost every week we were somewhere else and it was fantastic because this new kind of new shape of a necklace, you really need to put it on and try it on. What do the different colors look like with your skin tones and your hair? You know, how do you like to dress? Some of those necklaces are much more, you know, flamboyant than they're loud. And some are much more muted and neutral. And so um, it was a wonderful way to start the company because so much of our success is built on repeat customers. Mm. And it's truly people that I may have met in person eight years ago when we first started this company, or maybe I met them two years ago, or um, because as I said before, meeting people and and showing them how to wear something and showing them that you don't have to just wear like a plain 
slip dress with this scarf necklace. You can, as you're wearing it, wear it with mm -hmm. a t-shirt and a jean jacket, or, you know, or kind of whatever you're wearing that day. Um, you can dress it up, you can dress it down. It also covers a broad spectrum of it. Our, our customer base, the age range is every woman. Mm -hmm. So that's also exciting. Um, and so that really gave me the confidence to start. I felt like, as I mentioned before, having worked at other companies, big and small, some had failed, um, that I had, you know, it was almost like a graduate degree and, uh, you know, a course and what I wanted to do and seeing what to do and what not to do. Obviously, when we started this, I still had never started a company before. So, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still learning day to day, uh, but and it's been joyful. Yeah, you, you, as I apologize for interrupting you, you, as I recall, studied political science for yes. your undergraduate degree, which, which I find, I mean, I think that's incredibly valuable, but it's, it's an interesting set of, you know, it's an interesting background. Where did the business piece come from? Was that a piece of the puzzle that you needed to hire when you started the business? Or right. did you need to study business or talk about how you developed the acumen you needed to actually know enough about starting a business in order to do so? Yes. So I had a business partner. She's our co-founder. Mm -hmm. um, and she's still involved in the business, but she has uh, stepped back from the CEO role. We actually hired a uh, uh, you know, a very new addition to the team, which has almost been here about uh, a year now. But uh, she, my Lane, my former um, CEO, was integral in building this company. She um, she had a finance background, so obviously the finances were something she uh, was great at. But she also learned she could learn and Google anything and figure it out. So she became our ops person. She was our, you know, our finance person. She was our figured out and, you know, she was our shipping person and our production person at one point. The two of us definitely figured out, but she had a much more of a business mind. Um, and you know, I definitely learned a lot from her, but I would say that she was for sure the, you know, the captain of the ship in the business department. So mm -hmm. the two of us were, we are very different um, in our strengths. So I think we, we really worked well with each other and um, together to build something, you know, create a product that was interesting and unique and different um, and playful and fun and really well made and the quality is beautiful. And then she was able to take it and run with it. How much of the, the effort behind the design creation is really you versus a team effort at this point? Because I know as, as brands get started, as designers get started, the initial designs really belong to the designer, but ultimately you evolve, you grow the business, you expand into these other products and things like that. And so you need a broader team. Talk about how you stay connected to your original aesthetic, if you will, but also continue to evolve and keep it fresh. I mean, sort of sort of uh, throwing back to this conversation is part of our series of collaborative conversations with the Southern Sea, where we're talking about blooming and growing and evolving in our lives and careers. So talk about this concept of staying true to your brand while continuing to evolve it as well. We've had to ebb and flow in how we're learning and how we're expanding and how I'm, um, 
you know, very much, I'm a salesperson, I'm a creative, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of our, really everything, but networking, you know, uh, talking to advisors, talking to investors. Uh, so I'm stretched very thin. And you're also and, the face of the brand too, which I want to talk to you about as well. Right. Which was not the plan, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, I was just putting it on to show people how to wear it. Cause going back to your question, when we first started, I was doing all our social media. I was doing our emails. I was putting together our line sheets. I was, you know, doing Photoshop and creating all the designs. Now, uh, let's see, right at the beginning of COVID actually brought on this talented designer and she came with a world of experience in the jewelry world. So hardware, metals, stones, diamonds, um, all these things that I had not been trained in. So she and I are a wonderful pair and work really well together. She's also exceptional at technical specs. Um, she knows our, our factories very well in terms of what their strengths are and what their weaknesses and who should place different things and what you know relationships we need to work on or foster. So in that regard, she has been an excellent help. We also hired a product development person who then takes the spec and then runs with it and, and is all the communication with the factory. That's, that's a lot of emails. Um, and then uh, we have a whole web team. You met Molly who came with us to the Southern sea. Right. And she is incredible. She uh, has a background in PR. She had her own website where she online retail store. Um, so she knows all about, she, she runs our e-com. She's our e-com uh, VP of Econ and Brand Creative. So she also heads all our photo shoots, does a lot of the styling, you know, really everything that our brand, that the customer sees, whether it's on the, e on the website or if it's um, an ad or if it's packaging, she, it needs to go by, run by her on her desk and she mm -hmm. needs to okay it just to make sure. We've, that's something that was and still is very important to me. And when I was building it, um, I was very particular in what the, the details of it were. And she's just taken, you know, what I had started and completely run with it and has done just an excellent job at. Um, and so I think part of, you know, growing and expanding is is giving up a little bit of these things that you used to do and do so, you know, hold so dearly. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to continue to grow, you have to let somebody else who can focus on whatever that thing is and let them focus on it because it needs that attention. Otherwise things get left, you know, they, they get left in the dark. They don't get focused on, they don't get taken care of. And a lot of it needs that. Mm -hmm. um, Any great advice for how to make those determinations? Because what you just said applies, whether you're talking about the business context or whether you're talking about life at home or whether you're talking about life in some other capacity, but the ability to prioritize and figure out what you're going to focus on is a really important skill set. Do you have any tactics or advice for how you go about figuring that out for yourself? I would say, and this is what I did. I talked to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of other brand owners, mm -hmm. um, whether it be in my space or other product categories. And um, when uh, Lane, my old CEO, uh, when she was going to step away, I needed to find a new CEO, which was a daunting task. And it, that was during COVID. Oh my. Um, yeah, that was scary. 
But, you know, I literally just picked up the phone and I would cold call people or I'd email them first and, hey, can I have a phone call? And um, they were very willing to talk and give advice. You know, somebody would recommend somebody else and then they'd say, oh, what about this person would be perfect? So that I really appreciated that. And then secondly, you um, in terms of the design, the designer in the design area, I have um, buyers that I've worked with that have helped grow our company, our, our Neiman Marcus buyers, especially um, is a very close friend of mine. And we've become so close because she's completely honest with me and she'll say things like you guys need to expand in this area. And I know this isn't your history or your experience. And so you probably need to hire somebody in that area to help expand your company in that in that way. Mm-hmm. Or if, if one of these advisors or people that I was talking to to maybe um, see if they knew anybody that could be a would be interested in a CEO position here, you know, they would say, do you want me to take a look at your website and give you feedback? What's your business plan look like for the next five years? You know, what are the, what are your goals, your revenue goals for the next five years? And really taking a look at, you know, listening to their advice um, and seeing, you know, how can we expand? How can I take that and really run with it? And I think that was the beauty of the Southern Sea to me is all these people being able to be being so open and being able to, I think, walk away from that conference, wanting to go back, wanting to maintain these relationships with these people who are so willing and able to give advice. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can be hard to find groups like the Southern Sea. They certainly yeah. exist out there. It's not, it's not the only game in town, even though I think it's a really, really good one. Yeah. But finding groups like that and also forging a connection with people. I mean, I would, at least my impression of the fashion world has always been that it's not necessarily a particularly kind place and that it can be incredibly competitive and cutthroat and lots of, you know, um, sort of the bad habits that come from comparing yourself to other people, other brands, all those sorts of things. Maybe talk about how you avoid falling into that the yucky side and stay above the fray and how you build those relationships that really can be very positive and mutually beneficial? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) My, um, I believe the foundation of this company, um, when I was starting it and putting it together, that was one of the most important things to me is culture and, um, being kind to one another. I grew up in a household, four kids. And, you know, one thing that was reiterated over and over again was to be kind to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely when I entered into the fashion scene here in 2005 um, in New York City, it was cutthroat. It was so mean. Um, It was unkind. It was not building each other up. There was an air of, of cutting each other down as I moved through my different design positions and, you know, experienced different cultures, I learned exactly how I did not want an environment to be, should I start a company? So um, even when people decide that they want to take a new position at a different company, you know, I'm the first one to say, Hey, great, you know, keep in touch. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you. And because Ultimately, you don't want to make somebody stay if they're not happy or if they feel like they want to try something new. And so I think everybody should feel that freedom. Um, And I do think, you know, we have people that come on as an intern and haven't had any other jobs here because they love it so much. So um, and I think 
even our new CEO, she came on and she just, you know, when our, even our first phone call, she was kind of like, what'd she say? She's so funny. She's like, are you really that nice? Like, are you that nice of a person? And, and I mean, I wasn't trying to be overly nice. I just, I feel like I want to support her. I want to hear from her. I want to, you know, there's kindness is definitely a pillar that our brand uh, believes in and stands for. And if there's a mistake that's made, we never want somebody to feel like all the blame is on them. Obviously they didn't mean to make the mistake. So let's work together to figure it out or change it. We, uh, let's all get in here together. That I appreciate you asking me about that because that's something that is certainly not uh, common, um, but in the fashion industry. But I do think there has been a wonderful sense of collaboration um, between female designers um, that I have felt, especially in New York City and definitely at the Southern Sea, as you're mentioning, not just designers, but entrepreneurs that are willing and wanting to help each other and in a kind way and not tear each other down, but to really build each other up, which has been a cool, I think, tidal wave mm -hmm. of, of females, especially finding independence and, you know, following through with goals and dreams and finding success. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you strike the balance between being incredibly nice, being the type of person and the type of organization that people want to work with, and also not sending the signal that you can be, that someone can run over you, you know, making sure that nice is not the same thing as not being tough. Yeah. Um, I, I talked to Leela Rose about this in our conversation a couple weeks ago, um, and she took, <laughs> took, took that on directly. And I'd love for you to address that as well, because Nice does not mean that you can't also be tough, but maybe talk about how you articulate that in a way that you, you strike that balance between being nice, but also standing up for yourself. Well, that's another great question. And I appreciate, I'm sure Leela's answer was fantastic. Um, Cause she's a, a perfect example of um, being ferocious in her passion and what she does. And she's, hilarious. She's so talented, um, but she is from the South and she's a lovely lady and extremely polite and kind. Um, the way that I think I deal with that is um, from my core, I know what my morals are and what I'm going to put up with. I have three brothers. And so, you know, growing up and holding my own was something that um, I think growing up in the household that I did I always was having to do that. So deciding, seeing what the fashion industry was and seeing that I wanted kindness to be a part of, of our brand um, was separate from being run over. I have learned, and I think it's part of growing up, that you know I actually, I thrive with dominant personalities because I feel like they help me grow, but I also have been able to separate myself and really stand on my own two feet and speak up when I know something's wrong or if something doesn't feel good or if, it, if I feel like maybe I'm being taken advantage of, I just go ahead and call it out right then. Uh, I mean, honesty is the second most, well, not second most, but you know, kindness and honesty need to go hand in hand and honesty is calling something out for what it is. So, you know, of course we want to promote kindness here, but 
it doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, if there, if we do run into a situation where, uh, you know, something isn't as we would hope it to be, it definitely it is addressed and it's addressed right then in a way that's, that's matter of fact and, and neutral, but that's dealt with immediately. And, um, you know, I think in a professional way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I think it's so important because I think oftentimes as women, and this is not um, unique to the fashion industry at all, I think it can be hard to strike that balance and feel like if I'm too nice, and especially in male-dominated environments, if I'm too nice, then I won't be taken seriously. And so right. getting that balance right where you can be nice and you can also be tough at the same time, I think is really an important message to always deliver. You know, one thing, when I first moved to New York, uh, it was so funny. I was walking through a, a, a door, and somebody just bulldozed me right over <laughs> and then didn't even turn around and say, excuse me, or, oh, my, my bad. And so I think from, you know, the very – and New York City has probably been, uh, you know, I think a big learning lesson for me in terms of people and kindness and, you know, creating cultures. and how do you, you really have to survive New York City to, to be able to stay here and, and have a business here. And so that has helped with me um, standing up for myself, for sure. Because mm -hmm. you learn, you have to. And I think from what you're saying, and women in other industries, as well as this one, um, if you don't stand up for yourself, nobody will. So I think that's one of the first things to learn about if you're going to start your own business, get yourself out there, you know, be persistent, um, you know, have the things that matter to you and, and hold tight to them, but also conduct yourself in a way that's matter of fact and upfront and professional, um, have goals in mind, I think too helps with not getting run over. Cause then you don't even know if you've gotten run over. Um, and really sticking to your, you know, doing check-ins with yourself to see if you, if you're heading in the right direction or if you, you, you know, cause maybe you don't even know if you've gotten run over until you're kind of sit, sit back and think, um, you know, wait, what just happened here? Did I, yeah. um, you know, did I navigate this as well as I could? Yeah. Maggie, do you have a process that you use for reflection? You, you mentioned reflection a second ago. Um, do you have a reg? Do you journal? Do you meditate? Do you, is there something that you do that allows you that time and space to pause and really think about what's going on around you? Well, I think that's um, so important because, you know, you get going and you've got a family and you've, you know, every single second of your day is taken up with being productive and efficient planning and I started running during COVID and it was so helpful. Um, my stress level was out, you know, through the roof. I didn't know, you know, sitting still and just keep, if I kept working, I eventually was going to combust. So I started running and I put my earbuds in and just turned the music up really loud. I wasn't, I couldn't even like, I wasn't even necessarily listening to the words, but just so that I couldn't hear myself breathing. And I think, the motion and the, the, the exertion that I was able to give my body, it relieved the stress. It also um, gave me the ability to come give myself clarity on issues that I was confused about or wasn't able to see 
how to deal with. Um, and I still run today. I don't run as often, often as I used to, um, but uh, whenever I can, I definitely get out there and know that I need to do it for my head. Um, and, uh, you know, as long as my knees will take me, I'm, right. I hope to continue. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe it'll need to turn into something else eventually, but, um, I was doing yoga for a little bit for meditation, but then I hurt myself. So I turned 40 this year, you know, <laughs> everything just flies out the door. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. <laughs> I <have> to tell you. <laughs> We won't go there today, though. <laughs> That'll be for another day. I'd love, exactly. love to hear about it. Exactly. Oh, well, maybe not. <laughs> um, so, so COVID obviously was incredibly stressful for, I mean, for, for everybody for different reasons. But maybe talk about your experience and anything that you took from the experience that helped you plan for the business going forward? Anything that really changed significantly, maybe for the better as a result of the pandemic? I think I grew personally so much in terms of dealing with huge problems. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Things that I felt were out of my control, but I needed to figure out a way to control them. Mm. So literally feeling like the world was ending and that I was on a sinking ship um and then putting just one foot forward one day at a time and just making a list and tackling that list and just chipping away at these huge problems um and eventually we came out on top we 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 grew year over year last year and the year before we got our ppp loans we survived um and i think covid was such a blessing in disguise um, for uh, for me, especially in that regard, in the in the amount of growth that I experienced for myself and and being resilient um, and and kind of weathering a storm that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to weather. So, um, you know, COVID at first we had to furlough um, and we had to cut costs, but we survived. You know, we were able to negotiate rent. Um, we came together with a lot of other designers to put together resources in different verticals. So share PR companies or production people or uh, factories or um, it was a real coming together, That's I think, of, of brands in my eyes, um, other jewelry brands, especially. Mm -hmm. um, how can we lean on each other to survive? <laughs> how can we get rid of this inventory that now a big department store can't take, mm -hmm. um, you know, how can we work together to sell that? Also finding key players in new positions. Now we see when, when a person decides to leave, uh, you know, we kind of say, oh, this is an opportunity for us to look at our infrastructure and where do we really need people? You know, do, do we necessarily need that same position filled or do we need um, maybe like a small part of that filled and then a whole new role pops up. I think it was just one of the best learning experiences. I mean, I sure hope it doesn't happen again anytime yeah. soon, but um, it was extremely eye-opening and, and to be to, to look back on it now and, and see that we were able to come out in a positive and successful way. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody deserves a pat on the back for that. 
Yeah. So I, I've heard you describe your the company as an omni-channel brand, and I can't I can't say that I fully understand exactly <laughs> what that means. My my audience may, but just in case they don't, oh, <laughs> maybe sure. explain explain what <laughs> explain what that means. And also, did that shift as a result of COVID, given the challenges that big department stores like Neiman's and Bergdorf's and some of the others that you had relationships with and that were selling your products, did that shift as a result of COVID? Um, well, interestingly enough, no. Um, we So omnichannel means that we sell, we're not just direct to consumer. We also sell in wholesale and mm-hmm. wholesale avenues. So retail, boutiques, department stores, we do not have a brick and mortar but we are in over 250 boutiques and then we're in about four department stores, four or five. And then we sell online. So through our website, ideally, and what it was through COVID, it was a little bit, it was 70% um, DTC. So direct to consumer website versus wholesale because wholesale really struggled during COVID. Um, but then we really want it to be about 60, 40, mm-hmm. um, at any given time, just so, you know, wholesale gives us an, a wonderful ability to forecast and see what the stores have placed. But ultimately, um, we order into, it's called ATS, Available to Sell, mm-hmm. where we know that they're going to want immediate reorders of things that we know are going to be popular that season. So it gives us the ability to not have lumpy months in terms of selling, but to really kind of smooth out our lump, our months in terms of you know, dollars and, you know, making sure we're, we've, we've got the money that we need and we're making the money that we are, that we've set for our goals. And I think there was a huge, uh, it was almost a trend to be a DTC company. Um, and I think that has uh, changed quite a lot from Interesting. Um, some of those, you know, companies that are, you know, the aways and the, uh, where there's basically one product that you can put a whole bunch of marketing behind and then it really scales the company quickly. Whereas we're interested in growing at an organic pace where we can maintain our brand identity and our brand equity and define our brand and keep it the way that we want to keep it and keep the products the way we want to have them be made and look and, and the price points that we want. So, um, and that's a that's a constant conversation of well, what do I what do our next five years look like? How are we going to achieve that? Um, and the you know the the world and the market is constantly changing, and so we just have to keep I think having the conversation with what do we need to do now? And and you know keep leaning on people and advisors and you know you know keeping a pulse on what's happening in the world. Um, so. Clearly, there's it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's something that you're constantly right. revisiting and looking at and retooling and thinking about right. how your customers reacting to the product and how your you know the businesses that you're working with are you know, how how their customers are are reacting to the product. Right. So it's a constantly evolving thing. Maybe talk for a minute, Maggie, about where your own creative fuel comes from. How do you recharge the tank? Because you are, you're doing all these things. You're wearing all these hats. <laughs> and, and so you've got to have some way of 
reinvigorating and refueling both both creatively and otherwise. Maybe talk a little bit of, you talked about reflection, you talked about running, which is awesome. Is there anything else that you're doing to really supercharge your creativity? Well, I walk everywhere. So um, people ask me where inspiration comes from and truly it could come from the side of a wall that where the paint is like peeling off and the different shapes and colors it makes. Or if wherever I'm walking, I walk by a window and I see an interesting pillow that I've never seen before. Or a lot of our, our um, as I mentioned, when I worked for other brands, we I traveled the world and to see what other cultures are doing with textiles and how they, and maybe translate that in through like a textile or a shape or a, um, um, into the medium of beadwork and embroidery has always been something very um, interesting to me. Nature is extremely interesting to me. Um, if you look at a butterfly's wings or even a bird's wings, the color story um, that naturally exists is beautiful. And how can you translate that into sequins and beads and embroidery? And so I think for me, it's keeping my eyes open. Um, I mentioned running. I can't run on a treadmill. I truly can't because I'm not seeing new things. You know, I'm not seeing a leaf on a tree or a blossom in a, of, a, of a flower or the gradient color of the sky and maybe like a sunset or the reflection of the sunset off of a skyscraper here in New York. Um, I think all those things are creative fuel for me. And luckily, when we make things, I think it provides happiness to people that wear it too, because it's a very unique and creative brand. Uh, it was funny when we first started, my old business partner, you know, I'd show up with some super crazy, you know, butterflies or something. And she's like, whoa, 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 that's not going to sell, you know, and then it would be the first thing to sell, to be sold out. And I think that's what sets us apart from other brands is our, our creativity and our personality and our, our, you know, using different materials and coming up with, you know, new ways of looking at something, um, you know, traveling to all these places or looking at other parts of the world for industry has helped me not just look at what's happening in the market, but to do something different. And how can we translate something different? Obviously, we want to look at trends and what's happening, you know, reassort our product base, you know, size of the earrings or, or people into more dainty earrings now or bigger earrings. You know, when we first started these scarf necklaces, um, what was in vogue for jewelry was teeny tiny little crystal things that you could barely see. So <laughs> right, right. We were, we were the complete opposite. Um, <laughs> and I think you just have to go with what, for me, it's what feels good and what yeah. makes me happy. Um, and I think that a friend of mine this weekend told me that that's translated through our products and then gives who's ever wearing it a sense of happiness and courage and just for what they're wearing and how it makes them feel. Yeah. That, that always feels good. I think. Yeah. You touched on this earlier in our conversation, but you became essentially the default image of the brand uh, to, to a large, to a large degree, maybe talk about how that, how that evolved and also maybe how that helps you connect with your customer more directly. Sure. Um, well, so back in the day when I was, doing all of our social media too and our Instagram. Um, I needed to show people how to wear it because it was a new beast. We talked about that. And so I would do lay down outfits 
and, you know, shoot it out of my window. It's, you know, this one particular time of the day when I knew the light was going to be great. Um, but then I go up to the roof and take some pictures of myself wearing it. How would I wear it? And what would I wear it with? Um, and I think I have, I find a lot of joy in getting dressed. I love clothes. I love colors and textures and, you know, how to wear different things, something that makes you feel good. And I, I, I believe that I wear our pieces in a way that people wouldn't think to wear them. And I think it's helpful to our customers to kind of see, oh, and then, you know, maybe they can figure out an outfit like that out of their closet. Um, so, you know, by default, I would be on our Instagram and be, um, and because it's jewelry, you know, my head would be in it. If it was, you know, sweaters or pants or something, um, you wouldn't necessarily see my head or my face. Um, and then once we started doing Google ads, Facebook ads, then um, to see which imagery performs the best, it was by far and away the images that I was in. And I do believe it's that connection with the customers that I was able to achieve from the very beginning and continue to do as we do these in-person um, either selling events or, or like the Southern Sea and meeting all these new people and touching all, of, um, you know, whatever, wherever they're from and, and learning more about them and what they want to see or maybe what they gravitate towards. So I think listening to your customer is really important. And so, yes, by default, I uh, in the face. It's also we needed a, a name um, for the brand and uh, my you asked about my name, my godmother, her name is Mignon. And she is a, um, she and my mother were uh, Pan Am stewardesses together that's and they're great. best friends. So her name's Mignon LaChapelle. She's from New Orleans and that's who I'm named after. I love that. I love yeah. that. That's amazing. Um, if we could just touch for a second on um, one of the topics that is core to this podcast is around influence, building it and sustaining it. And we talked a little bit about the importance of being a, a, a nice person to work with, being tough, but being nice at the same time. If you could maybe touch for a second on the influence that you hope to have within the industry and maybe the impact that you hope to have in your space? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, you know, we talked a lot about kindness and joy and happiness and bringing that to um, people on a daily basis. I think passing that along um, would be something that I would hope I could have a little bit of influence over. Um, you know, being able to be fashionable and be coming up in the world of fashion means so many different things. Mm. And to me, I think what's most important is for somebody to just be themselves. And so however that looks and however that feels, I hope that that's something that I've learned. And I hope that um, an influence that I have is to help propel that onto people that maybe they, maybe that's not how they feel currently, but that to, to feel confidence in themselves in whatever version of themselves they are. I think that's so important. I think too, that what we've talked about also is, leaning on each other and, you know, being open and honest with each other and helping each other out. Um, I think that is something that, you know, as a female can go, can sometimes not 
be what's actually happening. And so if, if we can, you know, help that be what's happening, I would, I, I would love to have influence over that as well. So maybe those, maybe those big things would be cool to see. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I, I ran across something that I thought was so interesting just recently. Um, you know, we, we know that there's value in asking other people for help, right? And right. an obvious thing is that you're getting help. But one thing that's maybe a little less obvious is that by asking someone for help, you're also validating that person's expertise and their opinion, and you're making them feel good about sharing what they know with you, which I think is so beautiful. And it's a term that's called the Ben Franklin effect. And it was the way that Ben Franklin would connect with people who had a very different, potentially a very different point of view about whatever it was that they were talking about. But I thought that was so beautiful um, in that, you know, you get the help, but it's really about validating this other person, which I thought was so lovely. One more, one final question before I let you go. Maybe a single piece of advice for a younger Mignon Gavagon, Uh, maybe something you wish you had known when you were just starting out. Maybe it's a life hack or a mantra, something that you tell yourself. Share one final piece of advice with us. Well, I would say, you know, people um, will say, you know, can you believe that, you know, MG is where it is? And to be honest, when you're in it, the day to day, you don't see where it's where it was and where it's gotten to necessarily and i think um the days where you're kind of like am i am i making is this is this working is this worth it is it am i should i should i switch gears are we being successful is this gonna be you know where i want it to be um and i think just sticking with it i think just um surround yourself with um, good people and smart people that can help guide you and and um, you know, none of us know exactly how to do this or exactly how to take the next steps, but to be willing to listen to people and be open and honest, but to really just stick with it. Um, if you, if you find that you, uh, you know, are making something that's interesting or that you've, um, found a path that's interesting to you, um, and you're having success with it, then I would say for sure, follow it. Um, my parents, were pretty they're wonderful people back in the day when i was very lost and what am i do what do i do uh you know my dad was like do whatever you want um but you're gonna have to pay for yourself and my mom said she was like she was a lawyer and she was like do something that makes you feel good that brings you joy um and i think both of those pieces of advice have helped me just keep taking those one steps at a time yeah i love that that's beautiful Thank you so much. This was such a joy. I loved it. Friend, thanks so much for listening today. To learn a bit more about Mignon Gavigan, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode, episode 185. You'll find links to Mignon Gavigan as well as the Southern Sea. As you know, this conversation is part of our continuing collaboration series with the Southern Sea. I've included a link to the Southern Sea in the show notes as well. As always, friend, I am so grateful to have you here, and I hope you found this investment of your time worthwhile. I'll see you again next week. Take care. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.